and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And happy Thursday. Greetings. Thanks for tuning in here today. Live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. My name is Steve Dace. Aaron McIntyre is here with us as well. As is the one and only Todd Erzin. How are you, all of you? You can let us know by calling us today at 888-900-3393. That's 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com. That's how you can email the program. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And for those of you that are audio only today, the last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Yes, Aaron. And for those of you who are audio only, youtube.com slash Steve Dace. We got our YouTube channel oh, up there that's as well. Right. You got on me. Gotta I got to check start, that out. I got yeah. to throw that into the rundown and I forgot. One more time. Throw it out there. YouTube.com slash Steve Dace, D-E-A-C-E. You still spell it like that? Yeah, we still yeah. spell it like that. Yeah. So the the cool thing about the YouTube page is we're, we, ha- we have more freedom now to post actual video clips of the show uh, up on YouTube than we had before. Mm-hmm. All right. So if you've been thinking about subscribing, you want to sample it, maybe you've got uh, that spouse that's like, I don't know if it's worth the money. Now you can show them uh, some of the video samples of what we do each and every day up there at youtube.com slash my name, Steve Dace, mm-hmm. right? Perfect. 888 is the number here coming up here on a Thursday. We've got Theology Thursday coming your way next hour. And as I teased last week, my wife and I are taking a Bible study class at our church going through the whole New Testament. And it's actually a class that if you were in a seminary that you could get college credit for this. And so part of this class every week is I've got to write a paper on what our reading was that week. And to both come up with content for this show, but make sure that I stay disciplined in writing that paper. Because right? I'm going to need some extra accountability. I'm Each week as we go through this Bible study course, I'm going to share what I wrote about in my own study with you in the audience each week here on Theology Thursday. Uh, and then uh, Todd and Aaron will be free to rip it to shreds from there. So we are going to begin that here this week. Also, three non-political questions. A new movie is being released tomorrow. Uh, in select theaters nationwide about the faith of Clarence Thomas, the one and only Supreme Court Justice, the director of that film. He will be joining us here at the bottom of the hour. But before we get to all of that, here's Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by four days till the first votes are cast in the Democratic presidential primary. Candidates are still hot on the campaign trail. Joe Biden talked about his age yesterday. I can think of at least eight women, at least four or five people of color, that I think are totally qualified to be Vice President of the United States. But for me, it has to be demonstrated that whoever I pick is two things. One, is capable of needing to be president because I'm an old guy. (laughs) No, but I'm serious. Look, I'm a thank God. I'm in great health. I work out. No, I'm serious. I, I work out every morning. I'm in good shape, knock on wood, as my mother would say. Also, that's like just flat out acknowledging we've been doing everything we do to keep Biden from being the nominee. And guess what? We tried it in in Iraq. It's not working. So now we're going to try. I mean, in Iran, excuse me, we tried in Ukraine. Tom Steyer is definitely lucid. And he told my two big brothers and me, if you see something wrong in the country, make sure you fight it. 
as fast and as hard as you can because they didn't do that in Germany and something happened there that was almost unimaginable. And honestly, that was the reason I started the need to impeach movement. Mike Bloomberg, where's my ice cream? Ah, thank you. Mmm, big gay ice cream is the best. Elizabeth Warren unveiled her plan to stop the spread of so-called misinformation online. The plan includes holding companies like Facebook, Twitter, and Google responsible for spreading that so-called misinformation. Andrew Yang tweets, I'm pretty sure we should give everyone $1,000 a month. I think that would be really great. The U.S. deficit is set to eclipse $1 trillion this year. That's according to the Congressional Budget Office. Meanwhile, on Capitol Hill... The question from Senator Rubio and the other senators, uh, senators is for counsel for the president. How would the framers view removing a president without an overwhelming consensus of the American people and on the basis of articles of impeach- impeachment supported by one political party and opposed by the others, by the other? While we wait for the president's counsel to start their response, then we're going to squeeze in a quick break. Two minutes. We'll be right back. Attorney General Bill Barr appeared on the Sirius XM show Conversations with Cardinal Dolan recently and talked about the relationship he has with President Trump versus when he worked for President H.W. Bush. They were very different. I love I love both men. And H.W. Uh, uh, you know, was, was uh, more low-key. He had a very strong interest in foreign policy, yeah. which he really focuses his attention on. The interesting thing about uh, President Trump is, is that he's very hands-on. He bring people in to explain things to him. He'll reach down and bring the experts in, and he's and he listens to he you. Listens, he'll he, say, "He'll say, Bill, come in. I need your advice or instruct yes. me on this issue." And right. He also made these comments. Religion really was viewed by the founders at the core of our country, that it was essential to maintaining a free country. The reason they felt they could grant so much freedom in the Constitution and only provide for limited government was because they felt that religion was there and that and the people were religious people who could largely govern themselves. To me, the problem today is not that religious people are trying to impose their mm-hmm. views on non-religious people. It's the opposite. It's that militant secularists are trying to impose their values uh, on a religious people and they're not accommodating the freedom of religion uh, of people of faith. An Iowa man who is a registered sex offender is being released from prison because he says he's transitioned to a female. Officials in the state attorney general's office say he's no longer a threat because his testosterone levels are down. Kansas City Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes is canceled. Tweets from the reigning NFL MVP from when he was about 16 years old, which read, Stop resisting or assaulting a cop made a few people mad online. And finally, Blaze TV attended last week's March for Life and asked attendees what they would say to a woman considering an abortion. And I just encourage her to go deep into her heart and to look to see what's actually there and to know that um, she's not alone. And we love her. We're not against her. We're for her. Every single person in this crowd is here to help you, but there is, in my opinion at least, there's a better choice than that is choosing life. Where there's life, there's hope, and there's a chance that things will get better. And the only way it'll get worse is if you take that chance away. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's Montage brought to you today by our good friends over at RidUZone. If you are struggling with your New Year's resolution, get a reality check from our friends at RidUZone because they know it can be difficult fighting those cravings when you're trying to cut back on the calories. Thank you 
or thankfully, Riduzone provides a solution developed by doctors and backed by two U.S. patents. Riduzone is the only FDA-accepted product that includes OEA, the naturally occurring molecule that helps you feel full faster and burns stored fat while reducing your calorie intake. And Riduzone makes it easier to resist those cravings that are ruining your resolve because dieting alone is just too hard. So make it simpler with the resolution you get, the resolve you get from Riduzone. Exclusively available at riduzone.com. Use my name, Steve, as a promo code. When you go there, you're going to get a fantastic discount. 65% off of your order. That's a lot. 65% off of your order plus free shipping as well. When you go to riduzone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, riduzone.com, promo code Steve, promo code Steve at riduzone.com, 65% off plus free shipping with promo code Steve at riduzone.com. All right, let's get to the rundown. Uh, we're going to discuss in the overtime today for our Blaze TV subscribers. We will be discussing the case here in our own home state about a sex offender that has been let go because he no longer identifies as a male. So we can now add, uh, let your children be molested, bigot, uh, to the current mantras in the spirit of the age. We'll get to that today in the overtime. Uh, if you are not yet a Blaze TV subscriber, want to become one, go to blazetv.com slash dace. That's where you'll get a discounted subscription to this and everything else we do every day here at Blaze TV. blazetv.com slash dace. If you're already a subscriber, just go there later today. It'll be posted for you there at blazetv.com slash dace. Let's get back uh, to the rest of the rundown though. What 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 is Michael Bloomberg doing? Do you guys know? Now I'm now I'm with you. I thought the dog thing was was actually kind of cool, but I, we're in full cray now. What is what is big gay ice cream? What, what is that? I don't know. What what is it? I'm, I mean, are Ben and Jerry gay? They're everything else, including damn good ice cream makers. All right, which is what I choose to identify them as. <laughs> I bet it's not even a real ice cream. The, okay. sh- the need to utter the shibboleths yeah. are so strong right yeah. now. Like he just yeah, let's let's do this. And it's just, do you, do you think that's effective? Who's the core audience for that? Like, like who watched that and said, you know, and I hadn't, and I'm, I'm asking, there's 300 and approximately 335 million people in the United States of America. Of course, a lot of them are children and not yet of voting age, but, but let's say there's 200 million Americans of voting age. That's a lot of people, right? Give me the composite out of that group that watched that clip was not already thinking of supporting Michael Bloomberg for president and has now changed their minds. Give me a, give me a sketch. Who is that person? Go. Cause I, I, I've got a pretty prodigious, uh, uh, dome and, and I, I can't come up with that. So I'm going to defer to you. Go ahead. Go. This thing's a moving target, man. I mean, the woke need to have this stuff uttered. Then we'll, in the very next breath, crucify you for not being woke enough on right. another matter. Right. Which is why, if they're looking, Bernie Sanders is, you know, he, he's not woke at all. He's just Bernie Sanders. So, to the frustration of many people, that the reality of him, I mean, they, they, they go to him because it seems real, yet they desire all of this constant fakeness that this clearly is as well for nanoseconds that are fleeting i mean i'm 
I say this and it should strike people as the very definition of madness because that's that's what it is. I just I've got to think if you think that's a message that you find attractive, you're then going to support somebody that that offers a, a, a certain kind of packaging you're looking for that Michael Bloomberg that Michael Bloomberg does not. But even that guy, as you've said before, look at how people have lamented like Mayor Pete's not like he's gay, but he's not really gay. He's yeah. not gay. You know, the, I, I guess the target am, constantly moves. I, I am fascinated. And because I probably can't use the other word um, <laughs> by the amount of beta males that have been able to acquire tremendous wealth. And I'm, and I'm, I am just, you know, like J.R. Ewing. That's a scoundrel you could respect. That that's a guy that you could see just completely shanking you to get you know to get a to get to get further in line at Starbucks, let alone to amass a massive corporation, right? That that's an opponent that you could love to hate that you're like worthy of my disdain. Worthy. And in some respects Donald Trump is kind of that character, right? Like you're like I hate that guy. Worthy of that level of response in, the, in that, how did he beat me again, right? If I lost in the corporate sector to that guy, I, I would, I'd consider transitioning. Uh, I, what was the word we banned yesterday? You're a pettifoot. What was oh, it? Oh, uh, pettifogging. You're, 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 you're a pettifog. If you, we if banned you, it so much, we're using it the very next if day. If you lost, if you if you lost out to that guy in in, the, in corporate America, you you've petty fogged. I, I I am just flabbergasted watching complete and total beta males. It's like the Peter Principle exists in real time. Like like contrast him with Tom Steyer for a moment. Now I think what that guy said there is nuts. And and as soon as I say this now, what I was about to say, I'm recalling. We just had this conversation actually about him last week, <laughs> you know, trying to grab the hem of Bernie Sanders garment on multiple occasions, basically. Right. Mm-hmm. But at least there's some like I believe he really believes we're Nazis. Don't I believe that? Don't you believe it? I absolutely believe that he thinks that. Steyer? Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. I 100 percent believe that he believes that. I do. And, and the reason why is before he was running for president, he was dumping ungodly sums of money into all of these causes that think we're Nazis. Long back when Michael Bloomberg was still pretending to be a, a, a George W. Bush Republican, okay? I, I think Steyer's a true believer. Like, I at least see some conviction there. I am trying to figure out how an amorphous blob of nothing, like Michael Bloomberg, has risen to the sectors and halls of power that he has. And the only reason I can think of is it's because he is that amorphous blob and forces behind him just can, are, are really in control. That's all I can think of. Because there's no way he got there on his own. No way. Do you believe you could lose to that guy in anything in life? Anything. Anything. Name it. Anything in life you value as a man. Do you believe yes. you could lose to him? I believe I could lose an election to him in New York. I believe I would. I'd be throttled. And he knows that and he counts on it. Okay. Do you care about winning an election in New York? No, but you no, okay. to answer your that's question. Why, that's why I put the, the modifier. Beyond... Anything you care about as a dude, do you think that guy could beat you at anything? Anything that you care about as a dude? 
Not anything I care about as a dude. Anything you should care about as a dude. Problem, you think you, you but think this you is can the answer it. to your question. We we're not doing this in isolation. There's this fickle, stupid, lecherous mob that actually prefers that. You know, it's funny. I, I I've spent a, a good deal of time. I haven't been in a couple of years, but over the last seven or eight years, I have spent a good deal of time in New York City, and I have no idea how he got elected there. I just don't run into people like that. I, I just, I don't know how he attracted an audience. I, I don't. I don't know how Bill, Bill de Blasio got elected either. But maybe the whole system, maybe, out, maybe the system really is rigged. Because I can't see how these guys have achieved anything of significance in the, life. See, that's the great lie about New York, though. That is the great lie. No, no, we just don't take any... You take it all it, the time. It's obviously all it, you're right. The time. It's obviously a lie, given it who they continually yes. elect as their mayor. It's obviously a lie. You're right. You're right. Um, Joe Biden, what, what what you doing? What you doing out there? What you doing? He's Joeing. He's Joe. He's just Joeing. <laughs> yes. He's got his verb. He's he's uh, he's reached verbing status. Yes. What, what Ever other ass hattery you give us coming on Tuesday in this Iowa caucus, just respect you, Iowa it, it, Democrats. If you just if he finishes fifth out of the five people we talk about, just cast this aside. Say, come on, it, it, that I will give you props for. No matter what else you do, because this is just silly. Tell me, let's let's play this exercise again, but with a population we all know much better. All right. Give me the composite of the person because we it, less than 3% of the population in Iowa is black. Less than 3%. So there's no significant racial identity, political base of Obama uh, shattered the glass. He's the political Jackie Robinson and and you were his, you know, uh, lieutenant. Wingman. Uh, yeah, so there's none of that. that. That's at play, not one iota in this state. Not one iota. And not one iota in New Hampshire either where his numbers are not good. And that's a state in his own backyard, unlike Iowa. So, so tell me, based on everything we have seen, Katie Tour over at MSNBC has a has a report out. I saw it real clear, real clear politics this morning, uh, talking about everywhere she's gone in Iowa. Pretty much every one of the top candidates is drawing huge crowds, except for one, except for Joe Biden's not. So, tell me, based on everything we've seen, and to be fair to our fellow Iowans. His numbers here have consistently been lower than they have been on, on a national level. So already they they have seen that he's there's clearly an audience that has seen this guy is not fit for office, right? Can't can't do the job. So so with that now established on some level, tell me who still walks into their caucus place on Monday at seven o'clock, and when they walk in they have to declare now. That's new this year. So tell me who walks in. First thing on Monday night at seven o'clock when they walk in and they declare, I'm here for Joe Biden. Tell me who that person is. You are over the age of 65 and just have a level of nostalgia in you and a need for Social Security and the change that you see in front of you, you just can't quite understand. And so you're just you mean going the change with within Joe. the Democratic Party you yeah. can't understand. Yeah. Okay. And, and that you view him as the, your last... Yeah. This is the last, you're in the quicksand and this is the last branch that's been handed to you 
to get to to get yourself out to something you're familiar with. And you're not buying green bananas. You just need the you just don't mess with the social. Yeah, the, the, the old lady who slapped um, Kamala on the hand for messing with her social security. You know yeah. that like. So you're getting busted out of a nursing home that because that's oh, where I think no, that well, took place, right? Yeah. Was it a nursing home or I a might, diner? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Aaron, how would you answer that question? But you know, anybody I, in your age group voting for him? Anybody? I do not. No. Okay. I do not. I, I don't I don't know if that person does that person still really exist? Because at this point at this point, you might as well just sit out the caucuses. Because if you're concerned too much about the direction of 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 your party and that's why you're voting uh, the direction of the all the other part you know you know candidates that you have to choose from uh and, and you view joe biden as an alternative I, I don't i don't know how you make that leap because he certainly has not been an alter i mean he's been out there tweeting recently uh although if you're you know yeah, if that, you're in a nursing if, home or you're probably not diner, on twitter you know what a twitter is yes yeah. that's that's true but i i don't know how you go from these people are too far left so i'm going to go vote for the guy who doesn't know the difference between iran iraq or ukraine or where he is on a given time and again i don't say that to be mean but that's just i mean the dude just looks tired the, the poor guy just looks tired now and so i don't know I don't know how you go from that to, yes, Joe Biden is a reasonable alternative. At that point, you just sit out. This is not for me. So Joe Biden, then, from what I hear from both of you guys, as my uh, ad hoc real-time focus group that I didn't warn you about ahead of time, um, what, I, what I hear from both of you guys is that Joe Biden is, is an identity politic. I'm old, really old, really white, and all I really want to hear is you're going to leave my Medicare, my Social Security alone, I don't really care about, uh, I don't know what an intersectionality is, is, you know, is, are my, are my grandkids doing that at the, at the state track meet this spring? I don't, I don't know what that is. I don't, you know, I don't, to me, when I see a rainbow, I, I mean, I think it's because the sun came out after the, after it stopped rain, right? Mm-hmm. And that's his, that's his voting block in Iowa. That's who's going in to vote for him on Monday. I voted for Leonard Boswell. I voted for, um, well, the thing is, we've had a lot of Republican governors in that generation, from Robert Ray to Terry Branstad. They haven't had Howard Hughes. So we're talking about, or Harold Hughes is who I'm thinking of. Howard Hughes was, the, was Michael Bloomberg, essentially. Um, Harold Hughes, the longtime Democratic governor. We're talking about people that, when they were young, voted for that guy, right? Yeah. And that's who's going in to vote for Joe Biden because they think, that's he represents that Democratic Party, even though in all these various debates and everything else, he has he has abandoned every one of those positions uh, that he used to actually hold and that were that, that defined him thusly. And I was starting to doubt myself. I was starting to say, you know, maybe after I've been saying forever that, you know, Biden is dead man walking, that the fecklessness of everybody else combined with the ascendancy of mm-hmm. the socialist Bernie, like maybe everybody would really safety school it in Iowa. But I go back to where we started with this, the Mike Bloomberg, the big gay ice cream. I just I had a momentary pause like they need things like that so bad over and over and over again. They're going to talk themselves into Mayor Pete into Elizabeth Warren some way, somehow. They, they really need that here in Iowa. They need to put their stamp on it that way. They're not going to just go old Joe. Well, if here's the other thing to keep in mind. If Biden is not, if let's take Katie Turr at her word. <laughs> <laughs> 
You didn't even let me get the sentence out of my mouth. I like, I didn't, I was in the middle of the, of the word, word at the end of the sentence, you were already laughing. All right. But it's believable because she's not, this is their own team. Okay. Let's trust that, that the recon is a little bit more honest than it would be if it was, if it was people we liked. Okay. Is that fair? You can't make me. <laughs> Aaron did this to me a couple this days is, ago. You're going to do it to me now? Well, you're, you've, been talking, Play you're, along. you've been talking and rightly about how the press has been propagandizing for Elizabeth Warren. Yes. You don't think she might be putting her thumb on the scales okay. right here? Okay. Although I do believe that his crowds are proud. He's such a known quantity yep. and he's been so senile. I believe the crowds are. L- l- all right. Let, how about this? Let's say there's some ring of truth yes. in what she is saying. Even if we admit there's a handicap, a bias, embellishment, right? Yes. There's some ring of truth to it. Okay. Because we've actually seen numbers where we've... She has plausible deniability. Yeah, yeah, we've seen numbers with him in fourth and in place and stuff in Iowa. Okay. What that really tells you, and if you're living in a state like Pennsylvania or Michigan or Wisconsin, all right, these are the states that Trump flipped you and flipped where you live in back in 2016. He flipped your state. In our, in our state, we have this odd thing where we have 99 counties in a small landlocked state. Uh, and it's really because people used to really believe in local government and autonomy around here. Uh, and so we have 99 counties in Iowa that we don't need that many, but it's just kind of our own little uh, rebellious act. In, in 2016, 33 of those counties that voted for Barack Obama twice switched and voted for Donald Trump. And they weren't suburban exurban areas where the three of us live you know where they were it's these areas where joe biden uh we think he's going to call most of his voters from where people are coming rural people coming out of nursing homes and and one stoplight four-way stop towns and diners that are going to vote for him right All right well if you know one of the things when we had our buddy david yepson on for the first time about a year ago uh analyzing the caucuses and and i asked him Hey, give our conservative audience a sign of, because they probably care more about what happens in this race that has repercussions in the general election, more so than which particular Democrat is up and which particular Democrat is down. And so I said, give us, give us a trend line, something to watch. And what did he say? I remember it very vividly. He said, look at what goes on in rural Iowa. Because those are the areas that Donald Trump flipped in 2016. And if Democrats are able to draw a lot of energy from those places, then that could be a sign that they can battle for those other 30, those 33 counties they lost. Because it's not that the number's not that many, but those are the counties they lost in Pennsylvania. And those are the counties they lost in Michigan. And those are the counties they lost in Wisconsin, right? Are these places, okay? If we're saying that this is Joe Biden's base, and that's who the composite voter is of a Joe Biden. And he goes in there on Monday night, finishes in fourth or fifth place. I, I, going back to what David told us almost a year ago, don't you think that has general election ramifications? That, that yeah. they're going to have a very difficult time winning those voters back in any of those states if they can't do it here with a year head start in the Iowa caucuses. Absolutely. I think, 
I'm not going to confuse it by elaborating on that. I think that math is that's not a complex algorithm you just did. I think it's actually quite simple. Then on the other hand, then we have let's not throw a fallacy out there. If Joe Biden goes in there and shocks us and surprises everybody and, and finishes yeah, very strongly sure. on a Monday, yes, yes. on Monday, then the opposite is true. Yes. That Trump is going to have to battle for those kinds of rural areas maybe more than he was counting on yes. or thinking prior to Monday night. Yes. Right? That Joe that yes. Joe Biden maybe what we had wrong all this time is we viewed Joe Biden as kind of the 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 test tube for is there an old school centralist a central or, or centrist democratic party yes. left when really what we're asking ourselves yes. is can they appeal to elderly white voters anymore yes. that's really what we're talking yes. about and they vote and they vote in droves yeah. yeah can i ask you a quick question Absolutely. before we get out of here yeah what do you think about elizabeth warren's uh new plan her promise to persecute uh, uh christians and conservatives because that's what this whole no. misinformation thing no. is right of, cor- of it's course misinformation. that's misinformation it it's a good, it's yeah. against the russians todd well first of all you have to define how by what metric would we define what is misinformation by by where would we get our definitions from? Where would we get our terms from? What would be the uh, Rosetta Stone nope. to determine what's wrong? Do you believe in Jesus? Nope. Yes, right. you're nope. persecuted. Yes. Nope. nope, you don't get to ask questions, especially not those questions. You're a straight white male. I think what you're seeing with Elizabeth Warren too here is she's on a panderathon right now. And that, that tells me, again, campaigns will let you know where they're at with their own behavior. And they're, like I said the last couple of weeks, and I'll say this a lot as we go through this whole race all this year, they know better than we know. So watch their behavior, all right? And so this is her big gay ice cream. What this tells me, she's on a panderathon. She's 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 at the trying thing stage. You know, when the game plan you went into the game with, we talked about that with Bob Vanderplatz on Monday, right? The game plan you went into the game with, halfway toward the end of the game, whatever you realize, this game plan ain't going to work, and you're just kind of trying stuff now, trying to get a spark. She's trying things, is what this is what the panderathon tells me. We'll come back. A new film about Clarence Thomas. Its director will join us here right after this on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Clarence Thomas has been a conservative stalwart on the U.S. Supreme Court now for what, going on a fourth decade since... His appointment back in 1991 and a new documentary is coming out about him. It opens nationwide in select theaters tomorrow called Created Equal. Clarence Thomas in his own words. Here's a preview. Judge Thomas, you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help you God. I do. Please be seated. When I was six, I wandered the streets by myself. You were hungry and didn't know when you'd eat. Someplace in my life, the road split off. I had gone to the seminary. I had gone to all white schools. I was never going to be a part of that world. I was never going to be white. The problem is I can never go back completely to the world I came from. We're supposed to be revolutionaries. We were for anybody who's kind of in your face. I saw what I had become, lashing out at every single thing. And then I asked God that if you take anger out of my heart, I'll never hate again. 
And that was the beginning of the slow return to where I started. Just a little taste of what's coming your way if you're in one of those cities where this film opens tomorrow. Again, it's called Created Equal. Clarence Thomas, in his own words, the director, Michael Pack, is here with us on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Michael, my name is Steve Dace. It's a pleasure to have you with us, sir. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me on the show. So, Michael, where did uh, where did the, the notion, the idea of this project, where did it come from? Well, we had heard from mutual friends that Justice Thomas was getting tired of having his story defined by his enemies. He was tired of the half-truths and whole truths, really, that were being spread about him. So I met with him, and after a talk, I hadn't really known of him mainly about through the his contentious confirmation hearing. But after meeting with him and researching him, I really felt that his whole life story was very dramatic and needed to be told. As you could tell, even from that you know brief snippet, you know, he came from dire poverty in the segregated South and from there to the highest court in the land with many twists and turns in between, you know, such as you know, studying for the priesthood, losing his faith, getting it back, becoming a, a radical in the 60s and then finding his way back to conservatism. It's a very dramatic story and I thought one that needed to be told. One of the things you see there, even in the in the portion of the trailer that we just played for the audience, and you just touched on it too, and kind of giving us the the chronology of his life, is is you see this is a guy that has been a, a, really a transcendent figure. He has he has been a contrarian from a from a paradigm standpoint, really all of his life. Well, that's right. We, he tells the story that in the film that when he was born, his mother said he was too stubborn to cry. And that sort of marked his path. And, and that's right. It was even hard to direct Justice Thomas as, the, uh, as, a, as a documentarian, as a director. But, but that's right. He stuck to his principles. I mean, after his period of, of real poverty in Savannah, where his mother had brought her, her two boys, and they went through a period where he didn't have enough to eat. He was cold in the, in the, in the winter. He would, his mother would bring him to school. He'd leave the school and just wander the streets of Savannah. After this real dire poverty, she finally brought him when he was about eight to his grandfather, her, her father, to raise. And, that, and that's what changed Justice Thomas's life. His, his grandfather gave him self-discipline, hard work. He made Justice Thomas work, as he said, from son to son. And, and then he sent him to Catholic school, then segregated, but, but run by these, taught by these Irish nuns who also gave him self-discipline, hard work, a good education. And that set his life in one direction, and he was going to study for the priesthood, and then in the 60s, he lost his faith. So it's a very dramatic story with many twists and turns. It's, it, it is hard to just touch on him. And, and we, our film lets Justice Thomas tell his story directly to camera. As you can see, I think, a little bit in that snippet. I conducted over, six, over 30 hours of interviews just with Justice Thomas and his wife, and I let him talk directly to camera, tell the story in his words, not mine, with the emotion, with the ups and downs. And I think it's a very moving story, whatever your politics. Was it a little surreal getting him to open up? Because he's probably been the quietest Supreme Court justice of this era. Uh, He rarely speaks up uh, during hearings. He's known to uh, rarely, seldomly ask questions or speak uh, during, uh, uh, during argumentation. He doesn't do a lot of interviews. Um, 
you know, he has been a little bit more vocal the last couple of years, it seems, since Antonin Scalia died. But much of his career, he has kind of just let his own uh, rulings and renderings do the talking. Uh, he's not been a, I, there's plenty of people in the conservative movement that would love to make him a star, Ruth Bader Ginsburg kind of star. And she's retreated a little bit from publicity with her health issues and advanced age, but she was very out there from the very beginning. Yet he's been very hesitant. I wonder how much of that is his persona. How much of that is the controversial way in which he was confirmed in the first place? What do you think, Michael? I think it's really the latter point, Steve. I think that he was burned by the media during the confirmation battle, and he's been reluctant to give interviews and does not trust um, lots of people in the media. And, and for different reasons, he doesn't like to talk during oral argument. But in fact, he is a very gregarious, friendly person, a great storyteller with a deep bass voice, as you can hear, and a booming laugh. And it was not hard to get him to tell these stories. It was hard to get him to relive the difficult moments of, of, of his life. I mean, we, in my last little recap, you know, he's going off to, 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 to study for the priesthood. But then he's, he experiences racism in the seminary. One seminarian says when they're watching TV the day Martin Luther King Jr. is shot, I hope that son of a bitch dies. Mm. And that shocking comment, as well as the, his general sense the Catholic Church wasn't doing enough for civil rights, uh, led Justice Thomas to would want, decide he didn't want to be a priest, told his grandfather who kicked him out of the house. And that is when Justice Thomas went through this period of deciding race and racism explained everything, this period of radicalism where he supported, as he said, everybody was in your face from Angela Davis to Malcolm X. And, and so reliving all that, wasn't that easy, and and this sort of being kicked out of his house by his grandfather, and even the journey back from that kind of radicalism back to finding his faith again. I mean, these are hard stories to tell, and Justice Thomas, you know, you know, it, it involves a lot of emotion. He tells it in an emotional way, and I'm honored that he was willing to do that for me. I, I think it's not so easy to do whoever you are, but, but in fact, contra to his image, to go to your, your basic question, he is in fact a good storyteller and likes to talk. So that part wasn't hard. Michael, uh, Michael Pack is with us. He's the director of uh, a new film uh, releasing tomorrow, select theaters nationwide, called Created Equal, Clarence Thomas, in his own words. What's, you know, for me, um, you know, just to give you a little of my own background, because it's going to help frame the question I want to ask you about him next. Um, you know, I grew up um, in, uh, at times, an abusive household. Um, faith wasn't, other than Christmas and Easter, wasn't really a, a big part of, uh, of my upbringing. Um, but, and, and, and I was very immersed in pop culture, you know, I, I, a child of the 80s. So the, the, the first born generation, uh, post-sexual revolution and everything that went along with that in high school and college. But that exper those experiences and relationships, um, you know, I had a faith conversion in my 30s, and it, it definitely uh, fuses and impacts the way I do this show every day. And the way that I grew up and the things that I experienced sort of on the other side of the septic tank, if you would, if uh, Irma Bomb back there, uh, it has, has actually informed the level of um, tenacity that I approach these issues with my faith now as an older man because i've i know 
those these the the things that that faith wants to to save us from are not theoretical to me. I've I've lived many of those things. I've I've done many of the things it says not to do, for example. So I I know what the consequences are firsthand. I lived them in my life and in my family. And and likewise, even though he may have walked away from that radicalism uh, early in in his life, witnessing what happens to the human heart when it does when it does abandon the basic principles of you know racism comes from the same place i think abortion comes from that you're not you're not made in the image of god you're beneath me you you can be you can be used for my um my purposes because i'm superior i'm the more developed human or i'm white uh, or of a different racial class and i'm wondering though even if he doesn't have that ideology anymore um, the same tenacity against one evil that, that drove him into that camp has that guided him now against what he confronts as a Supreme Court justice? Is it still there? I think that's a very good question, and I think he is guided by that. Before I answer, though, let me just tell your, uh, your viewers that if they want to see the movie, they've got to go to our website, justicethomasmovie.com, to find out where it's playing in their area, and they could see the full trailer. And if it's not playing in the area, they could sign up. And if there are 30 or so of them, we can make an event happen. But it is in 20 plus cities around the country. I beg your um, viewers to go see it. Sometimes people on our side don't support films and filmmakers mm-hmm. as much as people on the other side. But, but let me answer your question about his faith. I think it was very significant that, for Justice Thomas that he went through this period, this period of radicalism, this period where he had, he had lost his faith and then he got it back. And that losing and coming, coming back to it, I think, is very significant. And then during the impeachment hearings, when the, Anita, when the Anita Hill allegations of sexual harassment were leaked, it was a really trying period for, then, for Justice Thomas and his then new wife, Ginny. And they, they really needed to rely on their faith to get through that. And those experiences, I think, do underlie his sense of, of the world. And to, and to go to maybe a, a deeper point that you raise, we call the film Created Equal because I think, just as you said, for Justice Thomas, the sense that, as the Declaration of Independence puts it, you know, we are created equal and we are, we are given God, we are all the same based on our God-given rights. And, and I think you're right, that underpins um, racism and many other ills in society. And Justice Thomas sees that connection in a very intense way, having experienced both racism and the losing and recapturing of his faith? I think that's a very good question, Steve. Final thing for you. What surprised you the most sitting down and getting to know him uh, for the making of this film? The the most surprising thing, I think, is Justice Thomas's resilience in, in spite of many, many difficulties. We've only touched on a few, but his life was fraught with challenges not least of which once he went to work for Ronald Reagan and was a public figure, this constant attack on the part of the left, he is able to sort of surmount these things in, in, in part because of his faith and in part because of his nature, but in part because he just won't define himself as a victim. He doesn't want to see himself that way. His grandfather didn't see himself that mm-hmm. way. He could see himself as a victim. He grew up in the segregated South, dire poverty, experienced racism, in a, in, a way, in a very intense way, but he doesn't define himself as a victim. And maybe that's not surprising, but that is, I think, the more, most inspiring aspect of Justice Thomas. And what, was the most, what came through most forcefully to me in the 30 hours I talked to him. 
Michael, one more time. Let our audience know where they can get more information about this film and find out if it's showing in their area, if you don't mind. Well, well, thank you. I really, uh, they need to go to our website, justastimeismovie.com, where all the theaters it's playing are listed. And as I say, if it's not playing near you and you have a group of maybe a, a, a Bible study group or a, um, you know, just a group of friends or a reading group, and you can sign up as a group, that is even better. If there's a group of 30 or more, we can make a screening happen in your area. But I, I, it is in 20 cities across the country, Dallas, Houston, New York, L.A., D.C. Please go if it's near you, even if it's a half hour away. I think and bring your children, bring people who do not agree with you or are unlikely to agree with Justice Thomas. I think it's a perfect film for that group. Created Equal, Clarence Thomas, in his own words, the director, Michael Paxman, our guest here today on Blaze TV. Michael, thank you for uh, joining us. It's been a pleasure, man, and good luck with the film. I I look forward to seeing it myself, so take care. Yeah, thank you very much, Steve. You bet. Ty, do you have any thoughts on the conversation we just had? Well, when you uh, send me information that you've received and say, take a look and just see what you think, and, uh, you know, after watching the trailer, uh, this was a clear attempt to paint a man in full. That's what I liked about it. I, it, it, I, you didn't hear a word about a, a specific case uh, that he had ruled on. Maybe you will, but ultimately, this was this was about the man at its core, how he came to be, and it, this is a man who is perhaps in our living memory caricatured more than anybody we can possibly think of for the purposes of uh, long-term political intersection. We didn't know the term intersectionality back then, mm-hmm. but that's where we were getting at. They could not have this man survive. he violates the paradigm. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why I thought it was worth talking to this man. What I sense talking to Michael about the movie is, and I've never met Clarence Thomas. I have met Jenny Thomas on a few occasions because we also were on the same presidential campaign together in 2016 and even did a, a, an event or two, I think, together here in Iowa. And... um what what I heard from Michael is that this is a guy that's tired of being your construct, okay? That when I was when I was the lone black guy in the white seminary in the church, I was your token construct, and then you let me know what you really thought about me on that April night in 1968 when Martin Luther King Jr. was shot, right? And then I, 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 I get to the top of my class, the top of the heap, and I get nominated for the U.S. Supreme Court. And the same people that were marching with me, uh, you know, for radicalism in the 60s now want to uh, high-tech lynch me, I think is what he called it back in 1991. I'm your construct again. I'm a, I'm, I, I'm a real man, and I want to be treated like a real human being named Clarence Thomas. I'm not your construct. I'm not your straw man. I wasn't in the 60s, and I'm not now. Bingo. That's kind of the vibe that I got from, from it. And you know who that sounds like a lot right now? At least right now. Say what you want about him. Say what you want about him. That sounds a whole heck of a lot like Kanye West at the moment. <laughs> yeah. It does. It, and I'm not comparing, I'm not comparing yeah. the, I know, but it's just like, you know, this is a free man talk. That's, that's the, that's the clip that, that went viral late last year of, of Kanye West. I'm, I'm tired of being your construct. Back when I was, you know, uh, back a few years ago, they were telling me who to vote for because, uh, you know, because I'm black and now. Uh, you, you know, now they're telling me who to bla- vote for because I'm a Christian. Um, mm-hmm. They're just the, the tired, the tired nature of the intersectionality totem pole. And also the, the, the tired, the tired nature of, of this constant victimhood, which is another thing that Kanye West has, mm-hmm. has hit on before. 
um, I'm not anybody's victim. I am my own man. I will stand on my own two feet and everything else be damned at that point. And that's, I hear in some way, kindred spirits between Justice Thomas and Kanye West, at least for now. That's brilliant analysis. And as he was laying that out, man, I was thinking back four or five years ago, scratch that, 24 months ago, <laughs> two years ago, same. if we'd have come in here and said, guys, I got to tell you, man, I, I just see a, a crap ton of parallels between Clarence Thomas and Kanye West. I'd have looked like Michael Bloomberg with his big gay ice cream. You'd have looked at me like, dude, I see a lot of parallels between you and a crack pipe. Try putting it down. But here we but are. That's the best part of this crazy age. That gives us hope that the impossible can yes. happen, that God yeah. is working in ways we cannot. I, five years from now, we may be talking about Kanye revivals. Well, it's why on our show, the, the, the lead story on every episode is revival or bust. Because that's the only way these sorts of paradigm shifts that you're describing take place. I mean, it, 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 a faith awakening is, is why Kanye West is having the conversations that he's having right now. And you heard there from Michael Pack that a faith awakening is why Clarence Thomas is doing the stuff that he's doing right now. Take those components away and what were they before? Well, in many respects, they were really only, they were responding to, 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 to societal ills and evils in probably the only way you can minus a theistic worldview, and that is to radically take matters into your own hands, right? And say, hey, if you're going to treat me as beneath you, I'm going to come back at you the same way, right? Minus a theistic worldview and the notion of human redemption as a part of it, that's kind of a logical way to react mm -hmm. to being, a, to being a, a, vi a victim of injustice, right? Yeah. To try to inflict it back yourself. Fascinating. Good segue into Theology Thursday, which is coming your way next right here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcasts. All right, back here with our number two here on a Thursday on the Steve Day Show, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. By the way, if you do listen to us via the podcast, if you wouldn't mind, leaving us one of those five-star reviews, if you really, really like us, we would appreciate it because the more of those we get, the more it helps this show grow and then it helps us to continue to get paid and to remain, which we would all like. And I think you would too. That's why you're tuning in. So please do your part. That's all we ask of you. We do all the other work. If you could just simply leave us a five-star review if you like it, thank you. If you haven't left one of those five-star reviews for us yet, wherever you podcast from, why not? Please consider taking a few minutes out of your schedule to do so. All right, I'm, that was my attempt. I was trying to be a little bit more uh, friendlier, gracious, mm -hmm. charming. Yeah. Was that better than the last time I checked in with you guys when I just said, oh, hey, sure. what's wrong with you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> YouTube.com slash Steve Days. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, oh, and, and big A ice cream. <laughs> I got it. Got it. Perfect. Let's begin theology Thursday. All right. So, uh, Amy and I are taking a class at church. Uh, it's called cover to cover. I think is what it's called. And it, it's literally like a, a, a seminary level, but Bible 101. Okay. So like, if you were like a first year in seminary, this is kind of a biblical, overview class you would take. It's designed in that way, which is why you can actually get seminary credit for it if you do the work that goes along with it and the accredited instructor affirms that you have, then if you choose, if you're in a seminary at that time or you want to go to seminary later, you can actually use this as 
as college course credit, this particular course. And we're doing the New Testament uh, right now. And each week, part of what I've got to do with this class is I have to write uh, a, a brief paper. And it's, it's like two to three pages, but it's double-spaced, which given how verbose I can be, you know, when, it, it, it takes me longer to come up with the topic I'm going to talk about than it does to write it because I can just, you know, uh, three uh, double-spaced. Uh, you guys well know this working with me every day. As you're waiting for your turn to talk and you look up the clock and there's three minutes left, right? You guys yes. know this, right? <laughs> you're, the, you're the crab in that Disney. You want me to talk about myself? Yes. I would gladly do so. If you insist, then yes. All right. And so, you know, there's a unit booklet with this. And then at the end, um, when we, we are given a list of things, we can, questions, the essay questions we can answer. And then with each one, there is the opportunity to just independently choose something if you want to go down that road. So for the first one, so which was the Gospel of Matthew, so it's the very first book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first of the Gospels, written by a guy named Matthew or Levi, who was a Jewish tax collector that, um, that, that uh, Jesus converted into being one of his disciples and leaving behind uh, the life of a tax collector which was not just in, in, in that time in history make you unlikable, like if you know an IRS agent would in our culture today, but often those guys were, were considered crooks. You know, they would take some off the top. Look, uh, they were double dealing under the table, all right? So it was also looked at as a, as a life of skullduggery, not just you know, disloyalty to, the, you know, to your own people by serving Rome in such a way. Um, and it begins with like a genealogy because, you know, Matthew, each of the gospels has a unique particular focus of the audience they're writing to, uh, for Matthew, um, you know, he's very focused on the, the Jewish connection of Jesus as Messiah, which is why the gospel of Matthew begins with a genealogy that goes all the way back to, uh, from Adam all the way to, to Christ himself. Okay, and it's and it's essentially your your Jewish all star team. Uh, if you've read the if you've read the Torah or the Old Testament, these are a lot of names that you're going to be very familiar with that go through the line of to, to ultimately the son of David. Okay, and so I chose out of Matthew, I chose two th uh, two things that happen in Matthew 22, and what I chose to write about, particularly in verses 15 through 33 of Matthew 22. And in verses 15 through 33, what you see are, are the two major um, political parties, because you have to understand the, the Jewish people were used to living in direct theocracies, direct ones, meaning the, the church and state were fused into one particular governing organism, all right? They were used to this, going back to the Levite priests. So the, the two parties that made up the Sanhedrin, or the religious ruling body of the day, uh, the Sadducees and the Pharisees were, were were more than political parties and more than priests at the same time. They they governed in the affairs directly of men, not just um, settling theological or ecclesiastical matters, but civic matters as well. Right, and so these two major political parties of the time both approach Christ in the in Matthew twenty two with attempts to discredit him from their own particular political biases. Can you imagine why I might have chosen, given what I do for a living, uh, 
to make this the first thing I was going to focus on in this class. Can you, can you pick up what I'm laying down so far? No, no, it doesn't ring a bell. Doesn't, it's not too on. It's not, I almost didn't do this. I thought this is going to, they're going to know it's for me and it's way too on the nose, but why not? Okay. So I'm going to go there. I mean, I, why would I think about that? I mean, Iowa is so green and peaceful and under control right now. It's not as if we're not letting, you know, child sex abusers out of prison because they feel pretty. I mean, why, I, I, why would I ask questions like that, Steve? Well, and I also, some of this is therapeutic for me because I'm in a unique situation. That's how I began this essay. That if you are a believer, you're called to bring your faith into your life anyway. Like you don't need a, a vocational calling as a priest or a pastor. You're you're called to to be a witness. So if you're a plumber, you know you're a plumber for the glory of God. No matter what your vocation is, right? Right. And then there are some unique vocations, you know, like a particular calling in the ministry, where there's a more formal setting and training and expectation. When I bring this person in, it's a package deal. But for all of us that are just regular laymen and, and, and lay people, we're, we're, to, we're to be a package deal no matter where we go anyway, right? That it's, if, if I own a drugstore, then the, the way that I treat people at that store should be a reflection of my faith as my plumb line, right? Yes. I think we're kind of in this middle ground. And I wrote about this at the beginning of this, this essay. We're in this middle ground where we are not formally vocationally called to the, uh, to the ministry. Yet at the same time, unlike a plumber who doesn't consult the scriptures for how to fix your septic, um, since we're since we're primarily the 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 product that we're we're marketing to the audience here is primarily our belief system and the way that we can apply it to uh, with with you know sometimes humor, sometimes seriousness, uh, sometimes gravity, sometimes. Uh, vapidity, depending on the occasion, but the, it, it's our belief system and the way that we apply it is the product here. So while we are not vocationally called to the ministry, the three of us are not, at least if, if we are, we, we are disobeying God by not answering that call. Otherwise, why are we here and not doing that, right? Okay. So while the three of us are not specifically called vocationally to full-time ministry, because our vocation is in the arena of ideas, and this isn't the arena of ideas about nuclear physics or about sporting endeavors per se, but it's about matters of existential import. We're often called to put our faith not as the, as the background of who we are as individuals and how we're treating you in this situation, but at the foreground of what we're actually communicating. Meaning, if I sell cars for a living and, and, I want, and I'm a believer, I'm, I'm going to hopefully do my best to be honest with you because my faith is at the background of this conversation, even though the conversation is really about, do you want to pay sticker price or which warranty uh, do you want, right? Here, when we come into this show, our faith is at the foreground because that's what we're communicating in the arena of ideas. Well, we, we don't agree with that because blank. We do agree with that because blank, right? This is front and center. And so we're not formally in a ministry, but we have similar expectation levels because of the uniqueness of the jobs that we have. Does that make sense to you guys? 
It makes sense. I, mean, I yeah. think you sell yourself a little uh, short in terms of the middle ground. Listen, as a, as a Protestant, I mean, I'm, as a Catholic, uh, because of the uh, what we believe in terms of the sacramental economy, and if I were to become a priest, I couldn't be married, vows of poverty. I honestly, I, I, I see no light between you and any Protestant pastor. You're the finest Protestant pastor I know. I say that without any. Wow, I I hope that's I'm not listening. true. I know you mean it as a compliment. Well, no, but, but, I, but, but knowing a, what rattles around in my mind most days when I'm not on the uh, front lines, I I hope that is not true. Well, I hope it's it's rattling around in their minds too, and they understand they're a pastor because they have to deal with like the rest. Of it. I, I'm simply saying I don't. Uh, I, what, I, there's nothing. There's no, I don't think that's what you're doing, but I, I, if you are of the Protestant persuasion, and this is me championing it, uh, I think your calling to proclaim is every bit, it need no asterisks. It's every bit as robust as the pastor you uh, go to see. And I think if we thought more along like that, like that, we wouldn't have this whole Protestant devolution that has happened into absolute uh, chaos. And I get, I've gotten questions from lots of believers throughout my career. Why don't I hear more about this kind of stuff at church? I've had lots of pastors come to me in my career and saying, hey, your show, beginning even back here in Des Moines when it was local, I'd have Des Moines pastors come to me and say, your show is causing me to have to reevaluate what I'm doing because of the questions I'm getting from, you know, from my congregates who listen to it. Um, there's just much more to being a pastor than, than the exhortational aspect of it. That and that's is what I and, and so when I say that's, that's because I don't have the heart for that. I, I I don't I I pondered for about ten minutes about seven or eight years ago whether I was being called into the ministry. And when I realized I don't want you all calling me at one AM with your problems. I just don't. I'm sorry. I just I don't have that level of empathy. I'm not I, I just don't. I don't have that kind of a, a heart. That's not what no. You know, I just, I can't. And so there's a difference between being good at preaching and teaching or exhorting and, and actually the formal role of, of shepherding sheep. That I am not cut out for, which is why I wasn't called for that role. Yeah, and it's the ratio is 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 the messiness actually is yeah. is uh, the preaching I mean, is the least, easy part of the job. Yes, yes, and I don't want to speak for any pastor, but I from what I've heard from them quite a bit and and just watching things, there's I mean when you're dealing with with people's spiritual lives and how that always always spills yep. into their daily lives, yep. there's so much messiness. I, I know yeah. my own junk that I'm still trying in my own sanctification process to wrestle with and wrestle through. I cannot even begin to imagine assuming all of that. Um, you know, you know. I, I several years ago, I had a, 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 a Missouri Synod Lutheran minister come to me and ask me for lunch. And I just thought we were going to sit down and exchange. The, I was still a local host at the time. Exchange the a lot, and I got a taste of what Aaron's talking about. And I thought we were just going to sit down and he dig the show. And we were because I used to do these all the time, as you well know. Mm-hmm. And and we sit down in this private conference room at the, the local radio station I was working at the time. And he starts beginning. And, and I thought we were just going to have a really cool theological conversation and exchange some, you know, notes of intellectual uh, fascination. And about we, about ten minutes in this conversation, he begins telling me he struggles with same sex attraction. He's and he knows it's wrong. He doesn't. And and I'm listening to this, and I'm like completely ill-equipped. I don't. I. I, I don't know. I, I don't. You know what I'm saying? I just. That's way that level of ministerial empathy requires us. You know. That's why I don't always get caught up in who's the fancy pants. You know, exhorter, public speaker. 
on a Sunday because that's the, that's, I shouldn't say easy because none of it's easy. That's the simplest part of the job, the simplest, right? Yeah. But the really hard stuff is what is in those kinds of conversations like that. And I mean, I just can't even imagine dealing with that in other people's lives full time while trying to manage your own. I can't even begin to imagine it. Um, and since I can't begin to imagine it, that's when I realized that's probably why I'm like, like other people look at probably what I do and like, I can't imagine going to the places that you have gone and just saying the things to people you've said. And to me, it's just like, well, it's, it was Wednesday and they turned the microphone on. Like, I, I don't like you guys know, I don't like sit down here and like game plan appearances. And I'm just like, I'll just, yeah, well, okay. I'm, that's natural to me. You know why it's natural to me? Cause that's what I'm called to do. All the other empathetic stuff that goes along with formerly being in the ministry that I just can't even imagine bearing that much weight for others and burden for others. You know why I can't imagine it? Because I'm not I'm not called to do that. Does that make sense? No, it makes sense. Yeah. But that's a good conversation. Not, I didn't think we were yeah. going to have that conversation. And pastors. But fascinating. The one spirit to have. works in yeah. remarkable yeah. ways Church, on Theology Thursday. Church leadership definitely needs accountability. Um but above all, you got to pray for your pastors. No Have doubt. Have some empathy. No doubt about that. So you go to Matthew 22, and um, in, these, in these verses, Christ is confronted by the two major political parties of the day, um, each of which held huge sway over God's covenant people at this time in history. They were both their representatives, like in a civic sense, they were their representatives, but then also spiritually, morally, their teachers and, and mentors. Um, they, they were, the Sanhedrin was every day at the intersection of faith and politics slash culture, which just so happens to be where we work when we come in here every day. Now we don't have to do the show this way. It's the way that we have, we have, we have chosen to, to do the show this way. We don't have to, but we, we've chosen to do it. And in this paper, I, I, I tried to come up with modern archetypes for both the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I want you guys to tell me what you think. Let's start with the Pharisees. I've always seen the Pharisees as Republicans. Um, they consider themselves righteous. Uh, they know the language and tenets of righteousness. Um, but a lot of times what they called righteous was really self-righteousness, not necessarily the righteousness that comes from a faith but from comparing, comparing your place in life to other people, for example. Um, and, and, and you see this in the Gospels in the way demonstrated in how they co-opt a, a theistic worldview, which they acknowledge up front, but then they attempt to co-opt it as a means to an end rather than letting that determine the ends themselves. Meaning, um, you've may, some of you may have heard the theological term exegesis. And it's the idea that the scriptures tell you what they mean. If you've been in a small group and you guys sit around more than one time saying, well, tell me what this means to you, maybe you'd consider a new small group. It's irrelevant what it means to you. Uh, what's relevant is what it means, <laughs> right? What's relevant to you is what it means. It's irrelevant what it means to you. What's relevant is what it what, what You don't want to go to means. Bill Clinton's Bible study? What's the definition of yes. is, is? That is what Todd is describing is what we most often actually do, which is called eisegesis. And this is now where I impose my biases and prejudices upon what the Bible says, where I then give myself to pick and choose what parts are in effect and which parts are not, which parts I want to obey and which parts I don't. 
okay? And I think you see in these gospels, the Pharisees commit a lot of eisegesis. And, and it wasn't always this way. Like the Republican Party we see today, it's, it's human. So it's always had problematic elements, okay? And, the, and similarly with the Pharisees, they're human too. But they were, they're very far apart from their original legacy. Some rabbinic traditions tr- uh, trace the Pharisees all the way back to the great rabbi Ezra, who rededicated the temple, right? Who has an entire book of the Bible named after him. Um, at one point in time, the Pharisees, particularly in the 400 years of what's known as the silent years between the two Testaments, during those years, the, 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 the Pharisaic tradition was key in maintaining and passing on tradition and orthodoxy. That's why they were held in such high esteem among the people, all right? Um, I guess you could look at that similar to how during the Reagan era, maybe, the Republican Party was seen as a, a direct path for a direct vehicle for confronting unrighteousness in, in the culture. People thought there were defined lines between yeah. the two political parties. And it's parties. nostalgic. It enjoys right. looking back, morning in America again. Right. Yeah. Very similar. That's, that's, I wish I would probably would have got a better grid on this paper, Todd. I thought about that angle to it, but yeah. yeah farm it okay. out to me. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> um, unfortunately, by the time Messiah arrives, they are far afield from that foundation. Um, similar to how today's GOP has a little appetite for discussing and confronting the things of true culture and true civics. An example is right now, the Republican Party in Georgia is committing fratricide over whether to let a guy who has a terrible voting record, Congressman Doug Collins. Which you tweeted about yep, yesterday. He has a yeah, terrible yeah. voting record. Terrible, terrible. Now, I don't know what Kelly, the other woman, thinks. I have no idea. Okay, but... They, there's an element of the Republican Party, and it's probably just because that this is this guy has shown a, a great loyalty to Trump. He shows a great personal loyalty to Trump, while then going out and voting against a lot of the policies that Trump actually ran on and his base wants at the same time. That's Doug Collins, and so it it that's the, that's an example of. I remember when the primaries were knocked down, it drag out ideological fights. That was only just like five or 10 years ago. <laughs> They're not about that at all anymore. They're not that about that at all anymore. Are your cheeks dimpled enough? Yes. Did you, did you, did, are you in with the right faction or not? Are you on, can you get on Fox News? Um, and I think today's GOP is similar to the Pharisaic order. They're, they're just far afield from, you know, and, and even to the point where the Pharisees often come up and quote scripture to Jesus uh, often you'll see Republicans begin when they're in the majority in Congress. How will they begin it? Do you guys know? They'll go through the whole Constitution. That'll be like the right. first order of business is to read the Constitution and all of its accompanying amendments aloud while they then go out there and, and help, uh, you know, attack on another trillion dollar worth of deficits. Um, and I think it's because politically it's not as popular and rewarding as it once was to confront these existential issues. So the GOP cites our founding uh, documents freely. They even will do it arrogantly, self-righteously, while at the same time, they will ignore the spirit and original intent of them, similar to the Pharisees. At one point in the Gospels, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you guys tithe on every ounce of spice that's in the spice cabinet, keeping the letter of the law. By the way, he doesn't, he doesn't condemn them for that, by the way. He doesn't say it's a bad thing to keep the letter of the law. He says, but you do it at the expense of the spirit of the law, mercy. Grace, you should have done the former 
without rejecting the latter. So Jesus doesn't say, let's get wokey and make this emotional and forget the letter of the law in order to, you know, make an emotional connection or spiritual connection. He says, you're actually supposed to, he the Pharisees, you're supposed to do both of them. If you do one for the extent of the other, then you failed. It's, it's not an either or. It's an and also. The letter of the law is about the spirit of the law, and the spirit of the law is about the letter of the law. These aren't separate entities here. And you see this specifically demonstrated in Matthew 22, verses 15 through 22. When, and this is where a lot of you are going to know this. If you don't know the scripture reference, is this is where he has brought a coin about taxation. And whose face is on the coin? Caesar's. Caesar's. And so therefore, isn't this an idol? And we, should we disobey? They're, they're trying to cast him as one of the zealots that refused to pay taxes and were constantly revolting against Rome. And this is where the line, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar, render unto God's that which is God's, comes from. Okay? The way the question is phrased, framed here by the Pharisees is it begins with the notion that there's a limit of, on God's authority. That, that God doesn't have authority over the Roman Empire. Um, and that the Roman Empire has an exclusive hold on worldly power. And so therefore, there's a, their expectation going in is when in Rome, do as the Romans. I have witnessed this many times amongst Christian leaders in the political arena. Well, this is what the Supreme Court said, so we must do it. The Republican Party told me that this is, this is we can't, if we talk about those things, we can't get elected. Ultimately, you're beginning from the premise of who's really in charge down here. This really came to light, and I was amazed to see it firsthand sitting next to you. And people, I know you deeply respect on multiple fronts, but the Kim Davis thing in Kentucky, yeah. the number of people I know. who sided with- She should just th- resign. Exactly. Run from the fight. Yes. Because the Supreme Court spoke and there's nothing you can do. And and I, I actually want to show some empathy to the Pharisees because they're living in, in their minds, they're living in a pre-Messianic age. Like they don't believe they're living in the fulfillment of of- of, of, of God's kingdom. And so they've also just been through a, a five century dispersion, all right, where, they're, where they've been scattered across uh, as a people across the world. So I can, under, I, I can give some empathy to why they might have a few doubts about really what's the, where is God's sovereignty at right now? But if you're a New Testament believer and the Great Commission begins with, all authority has been given to me, all. All, 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 all. Let me say that word nine more times. All, 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 all. All over the Fox News opinion dynamics poll, all over the Real Clear politics polling average, politics polling average, all over what a, a, twi- a social media ban. All authority, Jesus says, has been given to me. So then I don't know why we're out here game planning all the time. How much of uh, of this pagan rot gut we've got to be willing to take advantage to, to, to put up with? Because if, if all authority has been given to the Lord, we should live like all authority has been given to the Lord. All authority. All. And if you look up all in Greek, you know what it says? Do you know what it means? A fraction? It means <laughs> we behave that way quite a bit. Um, and this is the way that they behaved. 
They talked a good game about the resurrection. They talked a good game about the faith and the law. But in the end, they're so politically compromised, they're obsessed with the machinations of the Roman Empire instead of the movement of the kingdom of God. And we see in the Gospels that some Pharisees do get it. Just like there, there's, there's, there, you know, there's still plenty of Republicans that get it. A good portion of Pharisees joined the, the movement of the Messianic movement. Joseph of Arimathea, who paid for the tomb of Jesus, Pharisee, for example. The guy who wrote most of the New Testament, Paul, Pharisee, for example. Okay, so some of them do get it, all right? But mo- just like there's still several Republicans you'll find, like my buddy Chip Roy, who get it, who get what, what they're in the, that political party for, what it's really about. But most of them are too politically compromised. And so here's what they do. When you're politically compromised, you will seek to bring that which is righteous and holy down to your level, then aspire to raise yourself to it. R.C. Sproul used to tell a story before he passed away about a woman, one of the first women that took his courses at a seminary. And, you know, they don't, they believe in traditional gender roles, so women cannot be pastors. But she, she came here because she wanted to learn the Bible. And she was the best student in the class. And the, his class was so hard, they had to grade on a curve. Well, she's way ahead of everybody else. And so when you grade on a curve, when someone's way ahead of everybody else, what's that do to the people at the bottom of the curve? Sucks for you is what it does, right? And so this is a seminary now. This is a seminary. And, and so were her, were her male classmates coming to her and saying, man, we're having a hard time grasping what he's preaching can you tutor us, man? What do we miss? Do you think that's what they did? Nope. No, they shunned her. And so they had this big midterm exam and, and she, she bombs it. And he knows, she knows the material because when they have class discussions, she's in command. So he's thinking she has a personal problem or something's going on in her life and he's worried about her. So she, he has her come and visit him during her office hours. And she's like, he's like, hey, I know you know this material. Why did you bomb this class? And um, she begins to break down and sob right there. And she goes, I'm, I'm here because I wanted to meet a husband. I wanted to meet a man who had the passion for God's word that I have and that we could be partners in ministry together and raise a family together. I thought, is there a better place to find a husband than here? It's probably better than the bar and the grocery store. And they didn't have Tinder and eHarmony yet, all right? So she was like, I thought this is the best place to come and find a life mate. And like now none of the men here will talk to me. They won't address me. They hate me. And why did they hate her? Because she raised the standard. And rather than try to meet it, they were pressuring her to compromise. And so that's why she bombed the exam. So she could be more popular in the class and lower her grade to them. This is what the Pharisees often do here to Jesus. That it's really not truly for most of them about where truly is the source of power of this man who is doing these incredible things that has this, this almost cosmic insight into even everyday matters. Where is this power and authority coming from? Nope. It's to drag him down to my level, to reduce him to my petty fogs. Is that the word, right? Petty nuisances? Uh, petty fogs, yes. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So reduce him down to that. And that's what happens when you're politically compromised. Hey, get with it. Get with the system. That's just how we do things around here. Rather than sign up with a paradigm shift. We'll talk about the Sadducees when we come back. 
Did you know that like a lot of the uh, processed human food we buy, dog food for your pet also has a two to three year shelf life, which means that everything that was once live in there, a lot of the nutrients that uh, your pet, your doggy needs are, are gone. It's dead food, like a lot of the processed foods that uh, we eat today as well. That's where we need those supplements of probiotics and enzymes, vitamins, microbacteria. Man, if you're having digestive issues, it, there's a chance you may have a legit allergy like our uh, like our good friend Aaron does here. But a lot of times in our culture nowadays, it's because we're lacking that healthy bacteria in the gut that helps to di- to digest a lot of the food because it's been stripped away from the food that we do eat. Same problem with your doggy. And that's where Rough Greens from Vitasmart comes in. This morning, man, I got up and I, I the dog, our dog, Cap, short for Captain America, he 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 loves this stuff, man. Amy mixes it in with his food first thing in the morning. And it's just like, he's just, you guys, you guys have, he's just this little Bichon, man. He's like 30, 40 pounds. And I'm like, it, and so, with this stuff, he suddenly turns into like a warthog. This, a full dish of food is gone in like two bites. And I'm like, chew dog, chew, breathe, breathe animal, breathe. All right. And so if you're wondering, I can't speak for everybody's pet, but our pet thinks this stuff is like a delicatessen, man. All right. He absolutely loves it. Uh, and you can supplement it with your dog's food uh, at, at, and even mix it in with the water. I've tried it that way too. And same thing, man. He, he takes that thing down. All right. So if you want to put uh, the live cultures and enzymes and probiotics in your dog's food that he or she needs or it needs, uh, do it with Rough Greens VitaSmart. As the great supplement to your dog's daily diet. You want to give it a shot right now? Roughgreens.com. R-U-F-F is how it's spelled. Roughgreens.com slash blaze. That's roughgreens.com slash blaze. Or give them a call at 833-693-6433. 833-693-6433. That's 833-MY-DOG-33. Aaron, I apologize, but I'm not sure we're going to get to three non-political questions tonight. That's all right. I think this is a better conversation anyway. I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Um, So I'm sharing for Theology Thursday, the first paper in the Bible study class my wife and I are taking, and and, and I have to do something based on Matthew. So I'm going to to Matthew 22, verses 15 to 33, where the two major political parties, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, have both come in their own way to try and condemn Jesus with uh, a gotcha situation, to get him on the record, face planning. And... And they each did it with their own biases. And we started with the Pharisees who viewed themselves as the theologically righteous and orthodox. They were the conservatives. Um, But they had long ago abandoned first things for political expediency. And so the way that they frame the question about taxation is to get Jesus to try and say, Rome is not the ultimate authority. God is. Because these Pharisees believed that Rome, they, 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 they can say whatever they want, but they lived as if Rome was the ultimate authority. Rome, then God. And there's a lot of people in, our Repub- in your Republican Party, old habits, sorry, I almost said Howard, for, uh, personalized it again. But there's a lot of people in the Republican Party that do the exact same thing. They know everything you want to hear theistically, you know, about God-given rights, and they know the Constitution. But in the end, you know, you know a tree by its fruit. When it comes time to act, 
Faith without works is dead, right? When it comes time to act, they act as if the very system you elected them to topple is really in charge and not the God that our rights come from. This is Mario Cuomo Catholicism. I mean, I'm personally pro-life, uh, but hey, uh, you know, I'm not about to that. I mean, he epitomizes to a T. Well, that brings us now to the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees, it's often said, didn't believe in a resurrection. That's, that, to me, is another way of saying that you really don't believe in judgment or divine justice, because that was the point of a resurrection, right? That's where the ultimate judgment of mankind comes from. So if you don't believe in a resurrection, then you don't believe in divine judgment or divine justice. That's another way of saying that you really are secularized. You're, you're largely a secularized body of, of, of people. Uh, and and they were. Uh, to them, access to power and government authority was the end-all, be-all. Caiaphas was the chief priest at this time. Sadducee, he is the one who says it is better for this one man to die than for our entire political paradigm, our entire nation to perish. Um, they're similar to today's Democrats in America. If you look at the way that they live and the way that they govern, they can, they can, they can choose to cherry pick theology whenever they want, but they are effectively secularized. They are their own mini gods, demigods is what they are. Um, they don't rightly, and, and they don't rightly fear the one true God, and that they don't fear him the way that he wants you to fear him, the way that you should. Um, and that earthly authority is the real power. The Pharisee will say that he believes God is the ultimate authority and really mean it. But then when pressed, will succumb and bow the knee to Baal the, the, and bow the knee to Rome. The, the Sadducee will just start by bowing the knee to Rome and wish they could be like, more like the Romans and, and one with them. And, and I mentioned uh, how you know, Caiaphas, with his ultimate statement of utilitarianism, better for this paradigm shifter to die than for the current paradigm where we remain slaves to our both in, in two contexts, slaves to our own sin and then slaves to Roman authority. It's better for us to remain double slaves to our own sin and to Roman authority than to let this paradigm shifter threaten the status quo, threaten our power. Now, what drives the Sadducees is proven, if you think this is harsh, look at the way they confront Christ in uh, Matthew 22, 23 through 33. They basically ask him the Mosaic law version of where did Cain get his wife from? So they, they start going through the laws of marriage and the kinsman redeemer laws, and I think they go through this, what, four, five, six, seven layers of this, okay? And then they, they, they ask him, hey, um, at the resurrection, whose wife is this woman now that she's been tossed down and passed around? First of all, the question tells you what they really think of the institution of marriage. Just purely, there's nothing cosmic here. You're not, this is not two becoming one. And the word one that Moses uses there when it's first talked about in Genesis, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and the two will become one, is the same Hebrew word used for here, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord your God is one. So even going back to Genesis, marriage was to be an emulation of the relationship, of, of a divine relationship. They just cast all that aside. They, they don't care. They, they, those sorts of traditions, they don't care. Mar marriage, what is it? It's a transaction. It's a thing I utilize. So the fact that I'm already even bastardizing this in my example, the woman is of really no value to them. 
well, she was married to this guy, then not married to this guy. And she, again, so you see this later when, when, in, in the Gospels. They bring him an adulterous woman. They, they don't care. Genders of no value yeah, to them. None, none of it really is. All of this, all of it is a means to an end. All of it is really like today's progressives about power. All of it is. If I can use the Torah for power, great. If I can disabuse the Torah for power, great. Okay? Everything is really about their place of power. And Jesus threatens their place of power. That's why in their mind, he has to go, right? Similar to today's uh, today's uh, progressives on the left. Hey, hey, ho, ho, Jesus Christ has got to go. Yes, there you go, yes. Finally, though, the, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees were, were at times bitter political rivals. And I think in these passages, you see that they're really, to tip the cap to our good friend Shannon Joy, and I even put this in my paper, they're really a unibrow party. Neither is really driven by the zeal for the kingdom of God, but their own self-righteousness. For the Pharisee, it's his self-righteous belief the word of God is doomed without his particular scheming, plotting, political maneuvering, machinations, his spin on things. For the Sadducee, it's their self-righteousness that they are specially appointed to pick and choose which parts of the word of God are in effect or whether it even still is whatsoever at all. And in my line of work, I am constantly pressured, and sometimes by my own audience. In my line of work, I am constantly pressured to succumb to one of these pagan paradigms. Here's what it looks like right now. Orange man bad, or Cheeto Jesus saves. It has taken on other forms and other names. Pragmatism versus purity. That was, we had that debate on this show for years. But it's the same debate every time, every time. And sometimes it's even from really well-meaning people. I had a woman several years ago run for legislature in our state, her husband, a pastor. And she, she was convinced, even to the point of yelling at me, that, she could go down to that legislature and behave in any way she wanted to as long as it meant beating the Democrats. And I asked her, which of your husband's sermons, which, which Sunday did your husband preach on that level of self-righteousness? And that's when the screaming started. And I proved once again, I don't have the empathy to be a pastor. <laughs> so There it is. I'm right where I, because we come full circle, I'm where I needed to be all along. All right. Um, but, but let me stop there and let you, let you guys come, uh, more formally into the conversation with your thoughts now. Did this start with, uh, when you talk about your shower moments where you have ideas? Yeah. What, when, how Matthew 28 chapters. Mm-hmm. So you could have chosen anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was the shower moment for doing this? Was it that? Did you have a Cheeto Jesus? No, it came down um, to reading through it, just reading through it again. And, you know, every time you read through this stuff, there's always stuff because you're at a different time in your life than you were before that just really sticks to you, right? And this particular exchange was just like a, wow, man. That is such, um, uh, on a a far more meta level, okay? But on a, on a human molecular, molecularly minuscule level, 
I can resonate with this because I am, I feel like I am constantly torn between two flawed paradigms and why won't I conform to them uh, on a, on a daily basis in this job? Well, this is one of the great comforts of scripture. People come to you all the time. Steve, what do I do? What do I do? How should I vote? Who should I vote for? What, how do you handle this situation? And there's a very nothing new under the sun comfort and quality to that, that you, you, I know you desperately in this day and age want to solve this Rubik's cube, but you've been given the promise of the Lord himself that if they did this to me, what do you think they're going to do to you? Mm -hmm. This paradigm that you're talking about, it can't be said enough. It was established as existing then. It what is and what always will be. It is the thing in part that Christ came uh, to uh, overcome, uh, but that does not mean temporary, temporally. It is not for you to face just as he faced. And in fact, the opposite is true. He promised you would. There is comfort in that. There is an ability to endure and sustain in that. Um, that's what I uh, take away from it. And I want to make sure, because you prompted me to throw one more thing in. I want to make sure I, I, we don't, I don't offer you a false choice. That's not to say there's never a time for shrewdity. There's never a time for a strategery, right? I mean, even in the Gospels, I mean, Jesus is king of the universe. And he says, now's not the time to announce this. Now's not the time to proclaim me. Um, I don't want to make it seem like we're just, you know, uh, lemmings. We just, you know, we, we're not permitted to use our brains no. whatsoever. I think he's being pretty shrewd at this. When he says, render unto Caesar. Right, he, that's an example of he, it. That crowd is he like, turns uh, it, he, what? He turns it right around yeah. on them. Yes. But are we using those things in order to be better witnesses to our testimony? Or, to get a, or because we're looking for ways to avoid the consequences for our testimony? Those are two totally different things. It's one thing waiting for the right timing. We we do that level of game planning on this show all the time. We don't like prep our remarks. I often don't know what Todd and Eric are going to say about a topic before we get to it and neither you guys when it come, when, when it comes to me. But when we know we're going to get into an area of that can be radioactive, we will ask ourselves, is this a, is this the right if if, they, if we get shut down for going here, is this the right hill to die on at the right time, right? Because but that's out of how are we better stewards? for the calling we have received. Not how do I avoid the consequences for the calling I have received. That's often the way we do that calculus. It's about how do I avoid the confrontation and the pain for the things I claim I believe, as opposed to, is this the right time to face? Because I'm willing to do it. I just need to know, is this the time to stand and deliver? See the difference between those two things? And I think I, I, I wanted to illustrate that point. Aaron. Yeah, so the, the, the tension that you find yourself in, and you, you noted the, the, the main, or that everybody, any believer, finds themselves in, you know, the, the one about Cheeto Jesus saves, orange man, uh, orange man bad. And, you know, there is always, there's always a need to listen to the still small voice. And sometimes that just means waiting and not necessarily, not necessarily, as you said, shrewdity. Sometimes, sometimes that just means waiting, or sometimes that means charging through a door. You think that's that's open, but you know the words of of uh, of Martin Luther: "Here I stand; I can do no other." Those th- that's th- those are the words of a man guided by the conscience, 
and hopefully that conscience is guided by the Holy Spirit. And that's that's part of the um, the, the miracle and part of the, um, the 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 hard part of our faith is listening is listening and being guided by your conscience. If it is bathed in God's word, chances are more often than not you're going to be doing God's will. But uh, sometimes it is a little bit difficult. Uh, this is do I take this stand this day or is this not the battle mm-hmm. to choose? Do I you know do I start this controversy or do we do we need to you know circle the wagons and fight for another day? Mm-hmm. That is that is the macro tension that I think every believer, sure. if they are earnestly seeking out God's will in their life, finds themselves in every single day. Whether it's their marriage, their family, their neighborhood, their church, everywhere you are faced with these challenges and trials as well. And you're always caught between a rock and a hard place. And usually, usually there's a false choice in there somewhere, if mm-hmm. not two false choices. But that's just the tension that we find ourselves in. And um, there's a lot more I could say about that as well. But that's you know that's part and partial to our walk with with the Lord. That's why I think we've got to constantly check our motives, man. Precisely, right? Yeah. You know, and um, whose whose will are we the most interested in? Are, are we the most interested in bending God to our will or in in letting him lift us up to his? Which which of those two is it? And I it, because here's the other thing too, you can be on the right you can be in a righteous struggle but you're driven to to fight it right now because of your ego. And so again that's a, that's your motivation, right? Some of the most chilling words you'll see in the gospels are when Jesus says these people come to me and they did these momentous acts, but I don't know who you are. So depart from me, doers of iniquity, you know, enjoy hell. That, that's a constant to me. That's a constant reminder of, to check my motivations because I've got the God given gift of gab, man. I can, I can rationalize all kinds of things and convince myself that of my rationalization first, and then convince enough of you maybe uh, to justify it to myself second. But whose will am I serving at that particular point in time? And I think, you know, when, when you see studies over the last 20 years in the church that find the two reasons churches break up more than anything else, it's not because of great immorality or doctrinal abuse. It's over music style and dress code. That's right to what we're talking about right now. What, why are those your hills to die on? Well, they won't modernize the music or the music is too modern. Why? What, what, why? Why is that the hill to die on? And that's, that's the injecting of ourselves and our own, um, our own preferences and desires and assuming that because we're so righteous and we're so good that, that that's what God wants too. Congratulations, man. You're a Pharisee. You did it. Here's the thing. We've all done it. And that's why we need the accountability that Aaron was talking about. Thanks for tuning in here today on the Blaze TV radio and podcast. We're going to stick around and do the overtime for those of you that are Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, we will see you tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.